Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof. This week we're doing things a little differently. I'll explain in a second, but let's get into it. This is Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof. Talking to interesting people about that interesting thing that interests them. Welcome to the 30th episode of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof. Uh, that's 29 people who have joined me on this show to talk about their obsession, their passion, their enthusiasm for one specific thing, just non-stop, uh, free reign, just tell me everything about that one thing they love. And I thought because um, we've reached 30 episodes, why not recap some of the obsessions that we have had on this show that we've been able to go deep on and some of those great moments where people have shared all sorts of different things. If you have joined me over the last few episodes, there's a whole bunch from last year that you might not have listened to all of them. That's cool. In fact, this is a fun way to just get a little taste of what else is out there if you do go deep on the podcast, which I know some people do. There are many treasures hidden deep within the Totally Obsessed archives. So that's what we'll be doing. Relive your favourites or discover a favourite you never knew you had. First up, I got to speak to TV presenter and comedian Ryan Shelton about his obsession with the movie franchise Back to the Future. We covered everything from little tidbits about uh, trivia of the filming of the movie, why he was so obsessed with it, We also spoke about his trip to LA to go to the Back to the Future, I think it was a 30th anniversary as well, sort of Back to the Future con. And maybe, just maybe, it didn't quite live up to what he wanted. Um, He explains quite well what the vibe was like, including a special guest appearance, but not from Eric Stoltz, who was the original Marty McFly, which is one of the facts that Ryan shared. But anyway... This is Ryan Shelton, totally obsessed with Back to the Future. But I know a lot of the stuff because in 2015, uh, which was the year they go into the future, and is also the 30 years after the date that um, Back to the Future 1 was set. Okay. 1985, 2015. There was the 30-year reunion or anniversary of the film. And so I was always like... 2015, when that day comes... It's going to be the best year of your life. It's going to be amazing. I have to celebrate it in some way. And then I found out about this um, event that was happening in LA (laughs) that was being like a fan-organized event. (laughs) And I went. It was... Yes! It was like five days of like this Comic-Con on a very small scale for just one film. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I thought I was obsessed... The people on that thing were just like properly obsessed, like got married as Marty and Jennifer. And, oh man, you know, it's crazy. So stuff. you're like, I've got the right level of obsession here. Yeah, I was like the cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was the guy that didn't give a shit about Back to <laughs> the Future, but still paid the enormous amount of money to go. Oh, okay. Um, it made me. It made me kind of look at myself and think, what, what, what exactly? did I think this would be it ended as um, it ended on the Saturday night so it was like this whole week of like events 
And one of them, fuck, one of them was really <laughs> pitiful. It was, oh, yes. it was like a, it was like a hoverboard experience. Oh, and <laughs> I can give you footage. Of Here it. you go, kid. Ride the hoverboard. <laughs> it's just like it's a almost, skateboard on balloons or something. Oh, not, not even that good. It was, <laughs> it was literally uh, like a, a hoverboard shaped board uh, attached to um, a crane. <laughs> And you and you got on the you got on the board. You essentially like hold on to the the cable, and the crane just goes. I'm gonna find that footage actually. I'm gonna send it to. You. Like was this weekend a week? Oh, this week. Yeah. Sorry to shortchange you. A weekend. A week of uh, regret or joy. Um, it was a week of joy. It ended. Um, at a recreation of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance at the place they filmed it at. So that was uh, that was pretty cool to be at the place they filmed. You're in. You're essentially on the set of Back to the Future, and then they got uh, like Marv, the guy who played Marvin Berry. You know, the, you know, there's the band. Yeah, and he's like, and he calls his brother Chuck. Oh yeah, and he says, "You got to hear this." Yeah, you yeah. got to hear this. So the guy who sang Earth Angel sang Earth Angel. So that was things. Were there like other that. celebrity guests? Leah Thompson. Help me out. <laughs> she played Lorraine, his mum. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was there. They didn't get Eric um, Stoltz. Uh, that would be good. My, like Michael J. Fox couldn't be here, but n- no, I don't think Eric Stoltz couldn't would have even get up. Eric Stoltz. No, 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 no. I don't think he would have shown. Up. I think he's probably separated. Is it a himself. sore point for him? Well, it's like the most public firing. <laughs> Of like yeah. you know, and like, and, and he'd signed on too. That's the yeah. thing. It wasn't like it, the casting came down to the two of them. They actually had him on board, and were like, "Look, we'll settle for you." And then yeah. like, "No, nah, we can't even settle for you." I was gonna say, I was gonna say, just imagine being offered a job and then being pulled away from you be- before you thought it would finish. And then I remember that, oh, you've worked in FM radio. Yeah, it's happened to both of us. <laughs> yeah, we know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, oh, that would be horrible. <laughs> yeah, You've really set your hopes and dreams. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, FM yeah radio. actually, uh, that feels strangely familiar. Everyone that's worked in FM radio before. All right, from someone who realised their dream and it wasn't what they'd hoped to someone who has realised their dream meeting their obsession and it being more amazing than they ever thought, Nath Valvo came in to speak about his obsession with Kylie Minogue. One of the most interesting parts of it was him talking about his childhood and how his obsession really helped him find who he was when he was growing up. This is Nath Valvo, totally obsessed with Kylie. Well, I'd tape her performances that were on like interviews that she'd do on video hits and stuff. Like, of course, man, come and on. How often would you watch these? Uh, a lot, but secretly. Again, I was like, okay. I couldn't tell anyone, man. <laughs> and so, like... I disguised my obsession with Kylie with my obsession with music. I, pret- I pretended it was about music in general oh, yeah. while I was getting all these mags and, and did you, you know, listening to the radio, listening out for songs. It was listening to all songs, not just Kylie. I just love music, guys. Leave and me so alone. that was what you kind of want to project and that was your assumption, like, you know, like parents are dumb. They won't yeah. get what I'm doing. This is the, the Valvo you genius. Yeah. You know? And then um, it did, was... Did, surely they would have noticed. Well, they had met me. So they exactly weren't too right. surprised, yeah. but very, I can't, sp- again, not on all behalf of all gays, don't email me. A lot of the time your parents know. Of course, there'd be some cases where your parents, parents wouldn't know that their son or daughter is gay, but I think a lot of the time 
it might not be, oh my god, we knew you were gay. It might. It, it's more a, oh, that explains everything. Yeah, yeah. We knew there was something. We're else. picking up on a vibe of something. Yeah. You know. We're what doing, I mean? waiting for the final puzzle piece to drop. Uh, yeah. Maybe they just think something else is going on. Yeah, so I think. Yeah. They're I not. Mean, yeah. Who's if you got brothers and sisters? Yeah, brother and two sisters. So you could just imagine, like, is your brother gay? No. So you could imagine them. What's his name? Michael. So they'd be like, Michael. We we figured him out, right? Yeah. Nate. There's going to be a surprise in the next few years. Oh, of There's course. Going to be Something's some coming. Moment. And, yeah. I, and of course, on top of all of this weird, you know, Nath hiding all this stuff, he was obviously, I was also very loud, very confident, very mm-hmm. showy, yeah. always putting on shows, impersonating yeah. all my family, doing stand up yep. from a young age. So, what a handful. What a nightmare. <laughs> Mum, Dad, I'm gay. Oh, thank God. We thought you were going to say you wanted to be a comedian. Well, you know, I have, you know, the, the dream came true. You know, I did actually meet her and interviewed her, right? You know, that oh, happened, right? I, I, That's the big finale. I don't know if we're meant to tease the finale of this chat or well, get we can zigzag it. if you want. No, nah, well, firstly, before when I... When did you first see her in the flesh? Uh, intimate and live tour in the Palais Theatre. So Kylie released, after Confide, um, an album called Impossible Princess. Now, yeah. the, the true fans listening to the podcast that, right now... Is that did it again? Yes. This yeah. is where Kylie embraced indie. She went cool. She did breathe, did it again, some kind of bliss. Those kind of more yeah. like indie pop yeah, kind of cool. sounding songs. There were guitars all of a sudden in Kylie songs. And I loved it. A lot of critics didn't. A lot of people didn't. But I loved that album. Yeah. And a little bit of tidbit information here. She The album was called Impossible Princess. And then Princess Di died. The People's Princess. And so they had to re-change <laughs> the album name in the UK because people were like, no one's going to buy wow. this. So they creatively called it Kylie. Good stuff. <laughs> so that happened. And that album... Okay, guys, this is yeah. going to be a long brainstorm and we're going to get through it. We can call it Kylie the rest of the day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To so, the pub. So that that album is my still my favourite. I think it's a lot of weirdo Dahoud's favourite. Okay. Because she just did what she wanted. She actually wrote heaps of songs on that album and they're good. She did the Impossible Princess tour, which is the first time I saw her. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. You yeah. Know. Proper connection. So talk about this first time you saw her. Uh, I trained it in because I didn't... No, I want to go back even further. How did you get the ticket? Yes. So me and my cousin Bree lined up yeah. uh, at Greensboro Plaza Ticket Tech. Now, this was a time where Kylie was so still so big that there were lines to get tickets for her that would go yep. for blocks Yep. on, on the... So we went down and at like two, three o'clock in the morning, already a bunch of people in the line. I remember there was a guy, it was right when the internet started to become what it was, and there was a guy that ran a blog, a Kylie blog. Yeah, excellent. That all the Kylie fans read and secretly were completely involved in, but wouldn't tell each other. It was weird, and there was little forums, and people could discuss their yeah. favorite songs. And what little... kind of year are we talking? Like, to be early two thousands? Uh, nah, before two thousand. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like late nineties. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and so me and my cousin Bree took the train into the city, and then a tram out to St Kilda, and I secretly saw a Kylie concert without like my parents knowing and stuff. Was um, cousin Bree? Yeah. Like with she... me in the obsession. But so... no, I'm talking about. Did she know about you? And, no. Like, had you come out to your family? No. And this sort of stuff. No. no. I didn't officially come out till I was 22. Wow. Okay. And right. all this period is like 16, 17 yeah, yeah, kind of right, time. Right. So yeah, no. 
Okay, because sometimes there's that one cool cousin. Oh, of course, like, that knows already. Older than you. I mean, she's not dumb. So the fact that she was on a secret adventure to a Kylie concert with her cousin, sixteen-year-old male cousin. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think yeah. she might you have know, joined the dots. Uh, yes, I don't think uh, she thought I was going there to get some puss. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, So I saw that concert twice I've seen I go to most Kylie shows More than once So if you add up All her tours I was thinking about it Driving to your place today Yeah uh, We're in the 20s Yeah okay So I've cool. seen Kylie live Over Like easily over 20 times Over and the so years What was the moment like When you first saw her Well it's like, kind of like how, you, Was yeah. it Oh my god! Like, was she tiny off in the distance? Well, she's tiny. She's tiny everywhere. Yeah, but like, um, yeah, it's just that thing of anyone listening who's obsessed with the band knows it's just like these songs that are yours. Yeah, they're yours. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're surrounded by all these other people, and it's theirs as well. Mm. That's a cool feeling. Mm. And not only that, but this is where I think it links into the gay thing, especially the amount of gay men at her concert. The amount of women and gay women and even just like even looking back now there were guys dressed as Kylie but even back then I wasn't even linking how ahead that was for yeah. me about in terms of like I wasn't yeah. I hadn't seen that before anywhere so it was drag queens and all that sort of stuff and it was the best glitter falling yeah. from the sky men dressed as Kylie dancing to Kylie <laughs> sign me up so, you know, I didn't have to pretend I was straight. I didn't have to talk in that weird voice I was using all those years to pretend I was straight. G'day, cover. All, all that stuff. <laughs> Sport, champ. You know, no, I didn't, have, I didn't have to do any of that. So yeah, there was yeah. this, like, comfort thing. Yeah. And that's why, as a joke, every now and then I'll tease that I don't enjoy sport. But I'll never tease people that love sport because yeah. they get it. You yeah. get to go and... You're a part of something bigger and you'll mm. let go. A bit of a tribal thing, you know? Yeah. And that's a Kylie concert for me. It's my grand I final. It. No, I get it. It's get my it. grand yeah. final. Yeah, 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 absolutely. This is the best podcast that I've ever done in my entire life. Do you know what? I can talk about Kylie guilt-free. That was Nath Valvo from episode nine of Totally Obsessed. If you want to go back and listen, episode 13 was our Halloween spooktacular Bree Williams, uh, who I worked with on Bachelor Unpacked, came in to talk about one of the spookiest of animals, but perhaps incorrectly so, the bat, and unloaded a hell of a lot of bat facts and bat history, which was a lot of fun and a learning experience. Bats! are associated with spookiness for yeah. a few reasons. And the, the biggest one is their nocturnal behaviour. So, like, yes. the night is this thing. People are so afraid of the night, which is absolutely fair because, like... You can see less. Yeah, you can see less. That's the main one. <laughs> yeah. In fact, end of list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anyone who's, like, a good law-abiding citizen <laughs> is asleep at night, yeah, yeah, you know? Exactly. Like, if you've got a nine-to-five job... You sleep at night. Yeah, like no one's awake at night being like, God, I love doing people's taxes for them. <laughs> the nocturnal accountant. <laughs> hey, my office hours are 9 to 5. 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly that. So there's this, we have this horrible association with the night for lots and lots of reasons. Yeah. And bats kind of really took a turn. There's lots of mythology about them. 
um, you know, about stealing your soul and that sort of thing. And it's mostly associated with the mm. night. But the, the vampires turn into bats. Well, this is the big okay, one. So yeah. this is Bram Stoker's fault, really. Oh. Of all the thousands of species of bats, there are three actual vampire bats. And to be clear, they don't suck blood. Um, what they do. And like very few animals do that. Like leeches can because of the way their body's mm. shaped. But to suck blood out of something through teeth and to have it then deposited into your mouth, just think about that biologically for a second. That makes no sense. So you'd need um, straws <laughs> yeah. in your teeth, wouldn't you? you? Would, yeah. Yeah. It just makes no sense to me. But So that's not what they do. No, they kind of, they make yeah, a little okay. bite and then they lap it up. Cute. And <laughs> what are they biting? Uh, mostly livestock. As in, but not carcasses. No, no, Yeah, no. all right. Yeah. So there's kind of, like uh, all things, mm-hmm. there's some truth and some myth mm. to it. So like piranhas is another example of that, where Theodore Roosevelt um, lowered a cow into a tank of piranhas, a dead cow, and the piranhas was like, oh, fuck yeah, like go for it. And <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Teddy. I do feel like that's the character of piranhas. Yeah, like here I am doing it again. But if they're like, fuck yeah, for the boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah the boys. Um, but, um, but yeah, so the, the, that was a cow carcass. And so then people immediately were like, God, if you go into a river with piranhas, they will just eat you until you're dead. Piranhas are detrivorous, de- detrivorous. Yeah, well, they eat dead stuff. So they will eat carcasses. So yes, piranhas have eaten a person before, but that person was already dead. So yeah, and there's only like one recorded instance of that. Wow. So yeah, so same sort of thing. They won't really eat carcasses. They want like the warmth, like a mosquito would. Yeah, Um, you'd you'd take a hot meal, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely you would. Um, They're not idiots. But um, and yeah, and so because of that association and because people all over the world are really protective of their livestock and that's... Okay. I mean, in some places that's like maybe the only thing that certain people own and that's really important. And and we're talking as well, this was established at a time when, yeah, livestock was very, very precious. Mm. And it is now as well. Like it's, it's a very... We, I think because it gets turned into meat... We don't think of livestock as being a possession, but it is. Yeah, and yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. And so, so farmers represent. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know yeah. how many farmers listen to like. Oh, like, heaps! You <laughs> inner city people prattling on about their obsessions. <laughs> yeah. But if you're listening, we love what you do. We love what you yeah. do. Um. So, so yeah. So the vampire bat became associated with vampires as a result. Do of you that. think maybe it was Bram Stoker being really smart and being like. I can tap into something that's on the mind of people here. Mm. Like mm. farmers are stressing about these bats. I can really take that stress and sell some books. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think he was like, Bram Stoker? Because he's kind of responsible for establishing lots of stuff about vampires yeah. and about this kind of um, area. But the idea of vampires has been around f- forever. You know, mm. the ancient Mesopotamians had like a version of a vampire as what well. What was that like? Was it a similar thing? Like someone who sucks your blood out? It's the idea that someone is undead. And that's very frightening to people. Like this, uh, unable to be categorized. But it's a lot about something something like that coming to you in the night and and taking something from you, whether it be blood or your soul Mm, or a a dream. And vampires are associated with that. And um, bats are as well. Mm. So, yeah, so they have this thing. And, you know, there's lots of little touches, like flourishes in history. It's not just all Bram Stoker. Like um, in the witches in Macbeth use the fur of a bat to wow, make their spell. Yeah. And, 
And like Batman is creepy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's isolated. He's He's know, probably troubled. the worst one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like out of all of them. And again, do not at me, nerds. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, I'm sorry, but have you heard of Captain Depresso? And it's like, no, I haven't, mate. <laughs> There's three superheroes, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. There's no one else, right? Oh, and the whole bunch of them who are from comic books who fly around in a silver spaceship and Hulk's one of them. Like, that's it. That's the total sum of superheroes. Oh, yeah, I know. You think there's thousands of them, but no, mate. Maybe for you there is because that's what you do. But for the world, right, for the for the six billion people who actually matter, there's only like a handful of superheroes. This, see, this is really interesting because you always call yourself a nerd. And for people who like never met myself or Dan before, we are very good friends. And now that I've said that and it's recorded, it's the truth. <laughs> but like, Dear mum. It finally happened. I got a friend. <laughs> and I mean actively got. <laughs> yeah, I'm in his house. He made me come here and record a podcast with him. But Dan's always referred to himself as a nerd. But like, you don't like any of the things that like traditional. I know. Like you've never played a computer game as far as I'm aware. Not really. No, not since Monkey Island. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, my thing is I've always been like a nerd, but I've always hated the baggage that comes with it. But I don't think you are a nerd. Like yeah. I am looking at your Game of Thrones figurines. I've got Game at- of Thrones Lego and I've got, you know, all this like. Yeah. And so you're, but you're not, I don't, yeah, yeah. Like I'd never see you at PAX like gaming convention. Yeah. You're not a nerd. It's- I don't know what you are. I know. You are very scholarly. Like, <laughs> Maybe I'm a boffin. Yeah. I think, I think you are just a bit of a, a bit of a boffin. Yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely not a geek. No. Yeah, it's interesting. You're hard to categorize. <laughs> Thanks. Just, just like the bats. Let's keep the learning going for episode seven. If you want to go back and listen, I was joined by Lawrence Leung, star of Stage and Screen and Comedian. He went deep on a very specific moment in history. That's the friendship between Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer who created Sherlock Holmes, and Harry Houdini, the escapologist, their friendship, their rivalry. If you listen to the episode, we actually did a seance in the studio. Wow, this has been a really spooky recap. I must love spooks. Um, But this is Lawrence Leung explaining the intricacies of the friendship and rivalry of Houdini and Conan Doyle. And so when uh, Harry Houdini and... um uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, they sort of had a respectable debate about things. Um, there was one time where uh, when, when, when Arthur Conan Doyle was in New York, he decided to meet with Harry and all these magicians and, and try to fool Harry Houdini. And so he brought along a uh, footage of actual live dinosaurs. <laughs> and, and so all the magicians are watching on screen in, in black and white. In my mind, it's literally like Arthur Conan Doyle in like a Dorothy the Dinosaur <laughs> costume. Yeah. Like one of those olden days space movies, like oh, yeah. stomping around. Yeah, yeah. Basically, he, he, <laughs> Dorothy the Dinosaur or some early Jurassic Park type stuff. <laughs> um, but what it was, it was footage from uh, a movie that hadn't been released yet, which was The Lost World based on Arthur Conan Doyle's novel. And it was like one of the most early um, forms of stop motion animation. And so 
the uh, the magicians had never seen such a thing before, mm. and they full on were like, "This is impossible," but we're seeing this with our own eyes. And then Arthur Conan Doyle was like, "I'm not going to tell you how it's done." Uh, or whether it's real or not, other than to just say to you that just because you guys think you know everything, you don't. There are things that you guys can't even explain, which is kind of ironic because they weren't real dinosaurs. They were fake mm. as well, so it's kind of a magician trick. But it was real technology. Yeah, it was yeah, real technology. Yeah. And then Arthur Conan Doyle was boasting about it in the in, you know, front pages of the New York Times that he sort of fooled Houdini and these magicians, and um, it was great publicity for his movie. Would you say that these guys... It sounds like they had a rivalry more than they had a friendship. Yeah, well, they had that sort of mutual sort of admiration for each other's work. But then when they finally met and yeah. they they had a bit of a discussion about it, they differed on one point. And because both of them were so, you know, evangelical mm. for their two different positions, because it was part of their public life, uh, they became rivals for the rest of their lives. Is it one of these things where they had that one moment where they met or did they like have a few years where they were getting up to scrapes together and... Oh, a few years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the major turning point where it got real personal was that uh, Lady Doyle, Southern Conan Doyle's wife, became a medium herself because, you know, she also really believed that she could do what's called automatic writing, whereas where you, you know, hold a pen and a paper and the spirits kind of go into your mind and you go into a trance and you start, you know, go into a hypnotic state and start, like, writing something, anything that just comes out of you subconsciously onto the paper. So um, he, uh, she had a private session with Harry Houdini and said, I'll communicate to your mother. And she started writing out and it, it, and it was working. She was like quite lucid and she was writing, you know, English sentences about, it would start off about, you know, I'm making the sign of the cross. I'm communicating to you. Oh, Harry, I love you. And I've always wanted to talk mm. to you. And it, and it goes on for like 15 pages. And Harry Houdini was, you know, quite silent. You know, he was he was clearly shaken and moved. And if he's got this sort of um, love of his mother and that sort of stuff, then that's hitting him right in the feels. Yeah, so this is, right in the feels. He's really vulnerable here. Yeah, yeah. And um, so everyone chalked it up to like a success. And then um, Harry Houdini, a few days later, wrote a public thing in the newspaper saying, well, my mum can't speak English. She's Hungarian. Mm -hmm. She only speaks in Yiddish. She never refers to me as Harry, you know. Uh, I'm Eric Weiss. That's my real name. And also she's the wife of a rabbi. She would never start off a letter with the sign of the cross. So and so it got real personal because your essentially, wife's a liar. Yeah, yeah, saying that either your wife is just making it up, like she's just going into like a subconscious state and thinks that she's self-deluded that she's actually, you know, a spiritualist, or she's a liar and that, of course, caused a massive... Which one is it? Is she lying or is she mad? <laughs> you can choose. You can cho I'm yeah. not saying, but, yeah, so everyone got a bit insulted. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so that's probably where the, the moment was that they had a massive falling out. It's almost the end of our trip down memory lane to celebrate 30 episodes of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBooth. One last one. Uh, this is from episode... 16, uh, which I recorded with a friend of mine called Julian Cole, who's an ad strategist and um, just a easily obsessed guy. He had many obsessions he could have spoken about, but he came in to talk about his obsession with antique bottles, which all started when um, him and his friends found some antique bottles. They sold them. They realized they could make a little bit of money of it, and he just got hooked 
on antique bottles to the point where, well, I'll let him tell the story, but it's just one of the best moments of an obsession gripping someone as a young child. Please feel free to go back, listen to this one, listen to all the episodes and tell me if you discover a gem that you didn't know or you hadn't heard. Tweet me at Dan DeBoof. I'd love to know uh, which ones you find interesting and which ones you discover. But I'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, here's Julian Cole, totally obsessed with antique bottles. I was kind of getting interested in learning about bottles too. So I looked in the yellow pages um, back then, or the white pages, I forget which one. And I, I found an antique bottle club. And I was like, I gotta go to this. I gotta like find out more, see what like where the where the dollars are for these <laughs> bottles and what. How so it was a business. It was a business interest. It was a bit of a business interest to begin with, yeah. Yeah. And, and there was a bit of collecting interest in knowing more. But about if you the found bottles. a really good one, you'd be more inclined to sell it. Yes. Yeah. yeah probably. Yeah. Um, and so I it was it was the first Wednesday of every month, and that was coming up, and came home from work uh, from school. 13 years old and I said to mum hey the Williamstown Bottle Club um, there's a bottle club on tonight can you drive me and she's like we we live in Malvern which is the other side of the bay so it's like an hour away Um, and she's like no I'm making dinner (laughs) there's no way I'm driving you to Williamstown and I said fine and then I went I I was in my little private school uniform (laughs) I smashed the door front door and I got on the train for an hour and went into Williamstown. Wow, and what an act of rebellion. It was a real act of rebellion there. And I don't think mum knew where I was gone. Like, she didn't think I'd really gone. And um, I got to Williamstown. So I get to the Bottle Club, which is in one of these old RSL, RSL like halls. Mm. And there is about two people under the age of 65 um, in the hall they're all it's kind of like the pin drops as i walk in they're like are you lost are you confused <laughs> they haven't seen anyone under the age of 40 who's yeah. interested in bottles even if you said like i'm here for the bottles i would have been like no, no you're, you're like not. lucky guess all yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, see it. um but they were the most welcoming people ever so they they're like oh you're here for bottles come in um, and it was great. It's about an hour. They have a little show and tell. Everyone shows bottles, exhibits your bottles. You've got a theme for the week. So it might be eucalyptus oil bottles or salad bottles. Um, and they had these amazing rock cakes, which are like like powdery cakes with like jam in the middle. And it was great. And I get to the end of the night and it's about 10.30. And they're like, how did you get here? And I'm like, <laughs> I caught the train here. And they're like you can't catch the train back. And one of the guys is like, I'll drive you like just, and he was one of the younger guys who's about 40. And I'm like, Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. So he's like, all right, come with me, get in my ute. Oh my God. A young, young boy. And uh, stranger danger. Well, that's the exact thing. I was some suspect character. Yeah. Um, He takes me and he's like, you don't mind if we go on a dig on the way home. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I'd love that. I bought my little toothbrush just in case. (laughs) And uh, it was, I got the um, best welcoming club night ever because after that we drove to Port Melbourne and they had found a a yard, him and his mate had found a yard that was getting renovated 
And so they were the people who were living there. It was still a house, but it was getting renovated. And we went out the back at like 10.30 at night and he got his probe out and started digging for bottles um, in there. And they showed me how to dig and they were working the probe and stuff. Um, and I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome. I is get it- home and mum's freaking furious. She didn't <laughs> think I'd gone, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was hooked after that. And then after that, I joined the Williamstown Bottle Club and was a member for until I moved to Sydney and moved in with you for uh, 10 years. Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBooth is pretty much made entirely by me, Dan DeBooth, except for the music, which is by Caleb Garfinkel, and the artwork, which is by David Ferrier and Joe Kutri.